Welcome what's, back, everyone. What's going on, y'all? <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, this is just another uh, meandering episode, I guess you'd say, of Historically Athletic. We're in the NFL offseason. Going to bring a couple different things to you. But my goodness, I mean, the amount of activity that we've seen, though, so far to kind of start the offseason has crazy. been I've never crazy. Se- I've never seen an offseason quite like this in right. terms of player movement and players getting traded and players getting released and signed. And it's just been I mean, I was reading an article on the Dallas Morning News. Demarcus Lawrence was like, you're not going to recognize half the half the players on the teams anymore because they move so much. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of NBA free agency. Seriously. Know, like that. But, you know, we're not here to talk about the free agency just yet. We're here to bring a little bit more of that historical aspect of our portion of our podcast, the main portion, really. But bring a little bit of the history of the salary cap, you know. We won't bore you too much, I promise. We're not going to get <laughs> – we're not getting too far in the weeds. We're talking – really basics of the history of it, how NFL players have been paid, because as I'm sure some of uh, some of y'all are aware, NFL players had to work two jobs back in the you know, back in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. I mean, Cowboys players had to, you know, had to work different jobs. I mean, Steelers players worked in the steel mills sometimes. Yeah. I mean, there's there's been a huge we all influx know about the car in revenue. Salesmen and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff that they bring in. Yeah, but I mean, it's just crazy to see how things have changed, you know, with the revenues just going up and up and up for the league with the TV deals. I mean, television's been huge oh, and being yeah. able to kind of get that influx in cash because you can only make so much money off of people that are coming to the stadium. Right. So, plus it's with been the endorsements and so forth mm-hmm. and so on, it, I mean, it's skyrocketed, especially in the, you know, the 21st century for sure. It kind of seemed like that once things kind of started to grow in terms of TV contracts, like late 70s, early 80s is when the league really kind of took off. It kind of gives me the impression that when, obviously when the Super Bowl came into effect, that kind of put it on more of a national stage um, and got it more into the national conscience because you had teams on the East Coast and the West Coast and some in the middle of the country. But it's really, just, it united it. You know, there was the AFL and the NFL, and it united into the one organization we know now as the NFL. And mm-hmm. like you just said, brought the West to the East and the East to the West. And everything in the center. So, again, Big J kind of mentioned this in a prior episode, and we've kind of touched on it pre- uh, previously. But we're in the NFL offseason, and it really does make sense to go over the salary cap and what it means to each team as they make all these moves because – Quite frankly, we're not attorneys. We wouldn't be able to tell you about the legal mumbo-jumbo and all the different bonuses and escalator clauses. And I'm not going to go in any more than you'd want to know because it's 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 a, it's a very f- detailed, complicated, very fine, you know, verbiage that they put in there. So, like I said, we're just going to really break it down for the layman's terms. You know, the common man. That's what I am. And that's how I really understand things much more so. So that's pretty much what we're going to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. It's impacted the NFL and the rookies, you know, to to a big degree since the uh, salary cap was put in place in the in ninety four. Ninety four was when yeah. the first salary cap was put in place, but the rookie wage scale that came into practice in the twenty tens that was fascinating because you probably would remember uh, Sam Bradford, you know, when he came out of Oklahoma, he got a lot of money, and he was paid, you know, a ginormous contract by the Rams mm-hmm. when he was drafted, but. Him and Matthew Stafford were really the last two humongous number one picks that got that huge money as yeah. rookie, you know, number one pick quarterbacks before that rookie wage scale was put into effect. And quite honestly, I think helped teams manage their cap better. And it also helped teams manage expectations to a certain extent a little bit. True. But, you know, there has been a ton of player movement, more than either of us can remember, which we've both kind of touched on. So, I the- mean, just this season alone, this offseason alone, we've seen records in. 
twice in quarterbacks, most highest ever paid, and receivers highest ever paid. I mm-hmm. mean, you talk about the Aaron Rodgers deal, fifty million a year over three years, and you talk about Deshaun Watson's fully two hundred thirty million guaranteed. One's the highest of all time. One's the highest annual. And then same thing with the new receiver deals with, with Devontae and, and, and Tyree Kill. It's just so it, it's just crazy, you know, the amount of money that's being thrown around everywhere. But that's part of what happens when revenues go up. So I mean, that's part of it. But you also want to be able to have those marquee names to bring people into the stadium and bring eyeballs to your team and bring your team to be more competitive. And right. I mean, and let's really get into it though, because you know, in those early years in the NFL, they didn't make they didn't make anything. They didn't in make comparison to what mm. even the practice squad players are making now. Even and even with with adjusting for inflation, I mean, they were really not making much money at all. I mean, no. they couldn't they couldn't pay for a house with the, with what they were making. No, like you even said, even for a house for like ten grand. I mean, it just even that mortgage would be expensive would for be someone. Expensive. I mean, that's the thing is, like you said, you know, these these salaries, the average salary of an NFL player these days is about two million, which is on the very low end when you talk about these big big old deals that are getting made and mm-hmm. so forth. But you know, you talk about one of the first ever players that got like that first big payday. You go back to 1926, and it was the legendary player Red Grange. Mm-hmm. I mean. Drafted in 1925 by the Chicago Bears, yep. led the Bears to two NFL championships. This was before the Super Bowl era. And he even won a natty in college. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's a very accomplished player, great running back, legendary player in the NFL. He was known all over the country. And that was also during a time when college football was more popular was more than popular. the NFL was. Yeah. So his fame preceded him, and he... And it he really merited, brought, yeah, it really it brought, brought people to, of, to it to brought people to the pro game. Yeah, so I mean, you and can so, say that that investment was worth it for a 19 game deal. Yeah, so for a 19 game deal, he signed with the Chicago Bears that earned him roughly a hundred thousand dollars at the time, and that's huge money back then. Huge money back then. It was the first, like I said, the first large NFL contract of its time, and you would start to see the dominoes start to fall after that. But to a certain extent, those dominoes didn't exactly fall for the regular player for quite some for time. Quite some time. And so. You know, some teams were really stingy with money, so other you know others you know paid their players in different ways. Like in the fifties, Baltimore Colts <laughs> players got you know free beer, free beer, free beer After games. You know, you just had yeah, a hard fought okay, game. This, this beer was free for you. Free beer. Well, technically, this was uh, free for me. It was a Christmas present. Thank you, Doug, uh, my stepdad. <laughs> mm. But it's crazy because you know that was that was during the nineteen fifties. The Baltimore Colts, you know, like say, give them free beer, which isn't as far back as we think. I mean, seventy five years. I mean, it's not as far back as we might think. Right, right. And then you know, starting around those late nineteen fifties, players started to demand a league minimum. You know, but at the time, it's you know, owners ruled all basically. They were just like, eh, the league isn't popular enough. We're not making enough money. Exactly. The average player at the time was getting less than six thousand a season. And even adjusted for inflation, that's not much. And, you know, the financial breakthrough that really came about was when the NFL Players Association was recognized um, in 1970. Mm -hmm. And the owners agreed to a $9,000 minimum salary for players, meaning for rookies, and then $10,000 minimum for veterans. So $1,000 more for veterans. Still not great. I mean, I still remember watching America's Game episodes, like the first one with Bob Lilly and Dwayne Thomas for the Cowboys' first Super Bowl in 71. And their whole strategy was to keep the stars fairly low paid so that, that the, the auxiliary players mm-hmm. couldn't come in and complain. Tex Sam, right? Yeah, because yep. Tex was like, well, you can't make more than the stars, and the stars are making this, so why are you complaining to me again? <laughs> right. I it mean, was a, it was kind of he a, was a wheeler dealer. Exactly. Yeah, so, yep. you know, and rival leagues also helped kind of bring salaries a little bit higher. You already mentioned the uh, 
the AFL, you know, when they rivaled mm-hmm. the NFL for that good bit of time and before the merger. And then you had the USFL that got Herschel Walker over there in yep. the, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Speaking Jim of the Kelly USFL, went, they're, yeah, coming, they're back. coming back. They're coming but back. But yeah, like Steve Young went to the USFL. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim Kelly started in the USL, USFL because he did not want to play in cold, frigid Buffalo. No kidding, right? <laughs> but. That did help escalate stuff it, it, because competition beget, you know, it's supply and demand. I mean, there's only so many great players to go around. So right. if you wanted the best players, you had to pay up. So in the 60s, of course, it was the AFL. In the 70s, you had the WFL, the World Football League, that was kind of competing. And then the USFL was in the 80s. So salary started to jump because of these bidding wars. And John Brody was a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers uh, when they kind of had their first run before Bill Walsh got there and Joe Montana and all that with that 80s dynasty they had. He was picked third overall in mm-hmm. 1957. Yeah, so, so the guy was a stud. stud. Stud player. I mean, he he ended up becoming an NFL MVP in 1970 and Earlier in his career, during the '65 season, he had a he had an all year season that year. He was a comeback player of the year, coming off of an injury. He led the NFL in passing touchdowns and passing yards, so he's no slouch. And no, because of his name and so forth, come to those you know those salary jumps, those bidding wars between the AS, AFL and you know so forth, that it really increased the average salary for these players. Well, I mean, shoot, he was offered close to uh, three-quarters of a million dollars to go to the AFL. He'd been making thirty-five grand in the After NFL. After making thirty-five grand with the 49ers. And so because of that, like you said, he ended up getting a deal done with the 49ers where he stayed for about $900,000. And I think it was a little bit of like maybe a million-dollar signing bonus around that point over uh, several years. And gotcha. so because of that, that's when you started to see like these players – the minimum coming up higher. And then the same thing when you're talking about the strikes that happened in 82 and 87. Right. Incidentally, the Redskins, I'm just going to say Redskins because at the end of the day, that's who they were. That's who they were at the time. You know, the Washington Redskins ended up winning the uh, championship both of those years, interestingly enough. Uh, credit to Joe Gibbs for right. pulling that off and the players that they, I mean, there's actually a good 30 for 30. Um, about the scabs that they called them. I, I didn't name them that. That's what they were called. But that's right. what they were called. And those players helped propel Washington into the playoffs. That's what the movie The Replacements was based off of. Great movie. Great movie. I if still you haven't wish... watched if you haven't watched that, Gene Hackman and Shane Falco. Oh, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. Mm, I still fantastic. wish they would have named the Washington Sentinels, man. They it would have been great. Been that great. It would have been an what homage. It would have been great if it was the Washington Hackmans. Cool I know, I like right? That. I kind of do like that. But so, anyway, the players won the rights to get more team revenues as well as the ability to part to bargain collectively after all these strikes and all this, all these labor issues. Yeah. And you know, the Cowboys were kind of infamous for um, for really driving a hard bargain, and that was part of the reason why they weren't as successful in the eighties. Right. Is because of those strikes and the players. You know, they had they were basically made to cross the picket line in a lot of respects, and it kind of soured the relationship between the front office and the players. Right. So, I mean... But, I mean, at the end of the day, the strike ended up working. Because it did. Both of them it did. It took the average salary in 1986 from $198,000... To almost eight hundred thousand dollars by nineteen ninety three, and you also have to remember that that's when TV revenue was starting to come in more regularly. More and more teams like were getting that, on yeah. television. I mean, as many of you know, you know, TV really started to explode from really nineteen fifty onward, and obviously World War Two in terms of the the pictures that were sent over from Europe and across the Pacific theater as well. That kind of brought. To, television and television sets into the mainstream and then once you add color to it you start to watch baseball basketball football 
and obviously you know what the media behemoths are like these days with CBS and NBC and Fox and ESPN. So and, and so on because there's so many. There's now. so many of them. But, I mean, it had to start somewhere. Yeah. So then the salary cap was introduced in 1994. So 94, of course, is right in the middle of the Cowboys dynasty, and the Cowboys were not able to keep all the stud players that Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones had picked and drafted and traded for and blah, blah, blah. Even still, I mean, the TV revenue made that cap that year $34.6 million in the first year because the bidding went it ended up being higher than they expected uh, yeah. for the television rights, right. which doesn't surprise me. No, not at all. And then... And- you know, both the cap and the floor are adjusted annually based of on the league's revenue. And, and I'm kind of surprised COVID didn't have as big of an impact. Um, I mean, it, they did. They lost, I think, what well, was like, I, I'd have to have the stats in front of me, but I think it was like eight, $8 million or something like that is what they lost. It per went team? Down. No, the, yeah, the whole salary cap as a whole went down. I think it was a good $8 million, um, for What's eight team. times three? 240 240. So they lost $240 million because of COVID, at least doing that basic math. Something, 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 like something along those lines. But, you know, that's the thing is that's what a lot of people were kind of trying to figure out what the salary cap was going to be for this year, and it ended up going up even more so than it has in a long time. Well, it also didn't hurt that fans were able to go back to the stadiums this year, and it right. was a bit, a bit more normal, all things considered. And then, you know, under the NFL's agreement with the National Football mm-hmm. League Players Association, or NFLPA for short, uh, the effects on the salary cap of guaranteed payments, you know, like signing bonuses and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Now we hear all that. With a few, money. with a few rare exceptions, is prorated evenly over the terms of the contract. So, say a say Tyreek Hill signs. I'm, I don't remember the terms off the top of my head, so I'm going to make yeah. this up. Let's say he signs five for a hundred. So that's obviously break down to twenty million a year. So let's say that if that contract has a twenty million dollars signing bonus. So that's prorated over the terms of the contract. Right. So, By the five but, years. but a lot of teams will actually give players signing bonuses, quote unquote, and make their salary for the year like a million bucks to basically kick the can down the road and not have as big of a cap hit in a certain year. You saw the Saints do that with Drew Brees for quite a long mm-hmm. time. You saw the Cowboys do it with multiple players, but Tony Romo, for example. It's how a lot of these teams are kind of getting, a, getting around the salary cap. You know, it's like, kind of like a loophole scenario here because... Yeah, you're eventually going to pay for it in dead money, though. Exactly. Just like the Saints are with Brees, you know, because he retired recently. Exactly. I'm exactly. kind of curious if the... Um, if the Bucks will have to deal with that with Brady, but I guess they kind of won't because well, no, his deal isn't as deal, long. Yeah, he, as long as he plays throughout this year, they don't restructure anything, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, which we'll get into our next episode, kind of right. some hypotheticals on right. that aspect. But one of the you know big effects of the salary cap was the release of many high-salaried veterans uh, to other teams once their production started to decline from an elite level. So you're talking about, I'll just give you a very simple example. Say you have a pass rusher like uh, Reggie White back in the 90s. And Reggie, when he went from Philadelphia to Green Bay, um, you know, say he's getting 14 sacks, 16 sacks, 14 sacks in those first three years in Green Bay. The next year he has seven. The next year he has eight. If you tried to extend him in the middle of that dominant run, but then you start to see the stats fall off and you realize that the pay isn't matching the production, those types of players are, will start to get released to go to other teams because their production isn't matching the money that they're being paid. Right. So that's kind of what you're what you started to see a little bit more often. I mean, teams chop and change with their rosters more often now these days because they want to keep these star players on cheaper contracts so they can build a better team around them. Yeah, and unfortunately, it ended up kind of causing a little bit of a 
a discrepancy. The team started going away from the veteran players, started signing the rookies more so, these young, inexperienced players with the with the upside, with the potential to become great. But there's no but guarantees. They're, but there's they're no... keeping them on shorter or smaller contracts, right. which is allowing them to develop other areas that, of needs and so forth. Um, and because of that, you know, a veteran's minimum salary was ha- had to be required. Like, yeah, they had to come up with something to supplement that that issue. Yeah. So, like to offset this tendency, you know, the players' association accepted an arrangement where a veteran player who receives no bonuses in his contract may be paid the veteran minimum of up to eight hundred and ten grand, while accounting for only four hundred and twenty-five grand in salary cap space. So, so it's almost a, it's almost a fifty percent. Almost a fifty percent. It's almost a fifty percent discount. But you can kind of understand why some of these vets that are there for depth and are there for mentoring some of these younger players. And there are these you see it like especially you talk about it like this last year. Just going to example the the Rams what they did with Von Miller. You know, uh, they bring him in for not necessarily three downs, but they bring him in situationally, and he made an impact. He got, you know, they won a Super Bowl because of a lot of what he had to uh, attribute to the team. And so that's kind of what you're looking at when you want to get these veteran players in. So then why did Buffalo give him that massive contract? <sighs> that's another discussion. You're not wrong. Time. So, you know, since this caps implementation, you know, you, it obviously had had a huge impact on team and roster construction. And it really did change how organizations invested in their players and in their future. And it has proven to be an obstacle for sustained success. I mean, that's why I always say that what Bill Belichick has done with the Patriots is absolutely phenomenal. Right, right. Because he's won six Super Bowls in the, completely in the salary cap. I mean, era. that's why, like I said, you go back to the great dynasties of the years. You know, in the 80s, the 49ers dominated. In the 70s, the Steelers dominated. Four Super Bowls. You know, how many Super Bowls did the 49ers have in the 80s? Four. So I mean, and then the Cowboys had their three and four in, years in three years, and that was still right when the salary cap happened because it was in yeah. ninety, yeah, ninety two, yeah. ninety three, and then. Um, but you know, that's the thing is, since the salary cap has been implemented, you don't see that as often anymore. We got we got the Brady's, you know, the three and four years. You have your exceptions, they but they're not the rule. But they're not the rule, and you don't see it nearly as often as what we did back in the no. back in those days. No, and I think that's good for the league's competitive balance. Right, I mean, right. I'd love to look at the list of the Super Bowl champions from like ninety five on, and just because kind of, I'm trying to think. I'm I'm just gonna do this briefly because it shouldn't take long. I have a chart in my well, office. <laughs> well, I got you that poster. That's right. So let's see. Ninety five obviously was Cowboys. Ninety six was the Packers. Ninety seven was the Broncos. Ninety eight was the Broncos. Ninety nine was, was the, the uh, Rams. Rams. Two thousand was the Ravens. Two thousand one Patriots. Patriots. Then the Bucks. Then the Patriots. Patriots. Two thousand five was the Steelers. Steelers. No wait. Steelers beat the Seahawks in Super Bowl XL. No. I have, to think, I'd have to think about 2005. But then you keep going on from there. I mean, that's the thing is really in the last – since the 21st century, it's hard to go back-to-back. The Patriots are the only team that have done it. Mm-hmm. I mean – Because you have a lot of decisions that you have to make. you have these contract decisions. You, you have a lot of obstacles. Agencies, you have a lot of obstacles to bring in. And that was the whole thing. You know, the salary cap prevented teams with superior financing. So, like, your bigger market teams, your L.A. teams. Your, your New York teams. New York your teams, Dallas teams. You know, they have a bigger market and they have Chicago money, teams, money yeah. to spend. They have more money to spend. It, it kind of prevented them. It levels the playing field. Exactly, exactly. You know, for your smaller markets like Green Bay, <laughs> you know, so forth and so Absolutely. On. And then, so there was a gentleman, um, actually, I'm going to switch gears here. So the salary cap and all the regulations that come with it, it comes from the NFL's collective bargaining agreement, or CBA for short, right. which you probably heard about when you've talked about, you know, different 
collective bargaining agreements being agreed upon between the league and its players. And every professional professional league has this. So it's an agreement between the league and its players association that discusses the sharing of revenue and then other, you know, compensation rules, so to speak. Now, there's a gentleman named Quinn Kiefer, and he basically focused on the section of, you know, the agreement regarding player compensation. He kind of highlighted a couple of different things, but um, one major change was the rookie wage scale. So in the past, there were two quarterbacks that I'm going to specifically mention, one that's still in the league that just won his first Super Bowl with the Rams, and the other was a – it's – Nothing against him, but he was a journeyman quarterback that didn't quite live up to the hype. He made a lot of money, though. He did. So you have Matthew Stafford, who was selected number one by the Lions back in 2009. And then you had Sam Bradford. That was selected by the Rams. If I remember right, it was the 2010 draft. Yeah, because I think because of that contract, it was a $100 million contract. It was something ginormous. Way. but He hadn't even played it down in the NFL yet. And that's just it. The, the rookie wage scale was put into place to make sure that these young players that hadn't proven anything yet would be kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Not capped. Re- capped on capped. what they could make without proving anything in the league yet. So it would, in some respects, in theory, protect teams from, you know, when they invest a high draft pick in a, in a skill player or an O-lineman or whatever they decide to invest in them, if in three or four years it doesn't pan out, it's not just going to have a devastating impact on their salary cap. Right. So, you know, that's the first main change. It kind of affects their compensation and playing time, obviously, on the compensation side because there's a cap there. But you're not as rushed to put a player in too early when he's not ready right. at the NFL level. But then the second was a limit placed on the first-year salary for players. And, you know, these changes led to a higher first-year compensation for rookies. Especially those technically you know, taken in the high rounds. Yeah. First round, you know, the tops of the second round. Yeah, but, I mean, it's really di- diminishing returns in a lot of ways. I mean, it's just it's just meant you're going to restructure rookie contracts in a lot of ways in the grand scheme of things. And right. All the data that we've been kind of discussing on the salary cap, the basis for it, and all the stuff before that, that's all been sourced from multiple areas. You're talking your ESPNs, and I have no problem saying it, went through Wikipedia, went through Bleacher Report, uh, went through a lot of different sources. I think there was one more in there. Career trend? Career trend. Yeah. So it kind of gives you an idea of what's happened over time why the NFL has paid the players the way they've paid them, and how things and have how, really how it's changed. Gone to that point, obviously, you know, it's been seen a huge jump in salaries and everything like that because it takes into compensation, you know, the the TV re- revenue, the ads revenue, the merchandise, the sponsor, mer- sponsors, or merchandise, mm-hmm. and then also just what they bring in based on their yearly sales and tickets and so forth. So. I mean, it's all that. The game's game. changed. The game has changed. It has become a multi-billion-dollar industry, obviously, and so it's you know they made it more fair for these players because mm-hmm. bef- otherwise, based on the old school rules, these owners would be making billions of dollars on while, ridiculously, ridiculously cheap, cheap uh, which kind of I'm just going to say that kind of leads me into thinking about some other industries where the top of the food chain guys, like CEOs and stuff, make all this money. And yet the people that get things done, it doesn't seem like the – weirdly enough, it, all, it it doesn't seem like the wages are specifically divvied up. That's a different conversation. That's, a, that's, a, yeah, that's more of an economic – That's a loaded – That's a loaded, that's a loaded question. Yeah. But either way, uh, we really appreciate you all listening. We appreciate you all watching. We hope you at least uh, learned something a little bit. Maybe there's something that – no, I mean, I don't think your kids would love this. But even still, we really appreciate you all watching. We appreciate your support. We hope you're enjoying all of the action that's actually been happening 
Um, and it's not just March Madness that's going on. It's the NFL offseason, too. It's college football spring games that are about to be happening, spring practices. So, and then, um, you know, might even get into a little bit, but the USFL starting up in no, April. I'm I kind of, I kind of would good. like to go over a little I'm, bit of that. That'd you can do, you, you can do that solo. <laughs> have fun. I have no desire. But you know, that's the thing is we like to you know just point out the history. Repeat, you know, history tends to repeat itself in a different form, and so that's kind of what we're getting at with the, with the bringing the history of sports in some modern day era. You know, that's that's all it's about. So we hope that you did kind of learn a little bit about what we were going over with the salary cap, understanding a little bit more. So again, we didn't want to get too detailed into it because there is just so much to unpack in that in that situation. But for the most part, guys, we enjoy this. We're hoping that you guys are enjoying this. We really will get back to our roots as far as talking historical. Um, aspects of the game and uh, later episodes and so forth but you know for now we're gonna we're gonna close out and we're gonna move on to talking about what's going on now in the nfl free agency on our next episode yes sir thank you all so much for watching and thank you for your support appreciate you take care